Sunday, one of us getting up here and talking to you, um, we always marvel at what we have to talk about. And it's even more marvelous uh, when they overlap each other. And I promise you, I've not been talking to my father-in-law. I've only said like 10 words to him in the last week. Um, yeah, and, and it's, it's, yeah, here's the lawnmower, there's the lawnmower, thank you, and good day. It's not self-propelled, um, you know, these kind of things are the only words that we really say. Um, so, anyway, uh, yeah, who defined the self. Um, the, uh, the interesting thing is, is that uh, what I wanted to talk about this morning is, um, Lord willing, and y'all be praying for me as I stand before you, but uh, what is interesting is, you know, the last time, which the last time I spoke was Galatians, was Galatians 1, and that was on May 22nd. Um, this time I was going to go into Galatians 2, and I am going to go into Galatians 2, at least the end part. The first half of it is a lot about, you know, people trying to spy out and, you know, figure out whether Paul really is an apostle. But the last half of it has some good stuff in it, but I'm not going to start there. So now that you've already got halfway there, you can just hold what you got because we're actually going to go to Deuteronomy. Um, what is interesting is that I'm going to talk about the law of God. And something that, um, that kind of uh, sparked my thinking on this was is when I was looking at Galatians chapter 2 and the law and the question that I had actually been thinking about this morning, the night before, was what is the Sabbath day and how does it correlate with us in the New Testament church? All right, because Sunday's not the Sabbath day. You know, Saturday's the Sabbath day. That's not what I'm going to preach on this afternoon. Um, but that was what sparked the idea of how much and what of the Old Testament do we incorporate into the New Testament? What of the Old Testament law gets incorporated into the New Testament? So, Lord willing, that's what I want to talk about this morning is um, what and, and everything that we carry with us from the Old Testament into the New Testament. We've got 20 minutes. Open your Bibles. Let's go. Need to read along with me in case I'm making it up. So, the first thing that we have to go for is Galatians chapter 3, verse 24. You're probably already halfway there. For wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by the works of the law. No? Are you reading? Okay. So that we may be justified by faith. So, Galatians tells us that the law was a schoolmaster, a teacher that taught us about... Christ, right? So this is the way I think of it. When God was laying out everything, he gave him a law and said, this is your homework, work on this until I come back in AD 0. All right? So the law was the homework. Do this, check this off, keep this up. If you fail, you know, there will be consequences. We'll hold you back a grade, whatever you want to use there. But the homework, that's what it was, was basically homework. That's all it was. If you didn't pass the final exam, you know, just like in class. The homework is just there to teach you about the ultimate point, okay? And so the law was just there to teach us about Christ. As it says throughout Galatians, and we read in Galatians 2, no man was justified by the law. Amen. Now we say, oh, this is all Old Testament stuff, Adam. Why are you talking to me about it? What relevance does it have today? Um, uh, Galatians, you know, when we were talking about it, we were saying how the whole point of Galatians was that it was a bunch of people who tried to work back in with the church and said, hey, you've got to do X to, if you're really a follower of Christ. You have to do X if you really want to be a Christian. You have to do X to be saved. Now, what their X was was circumcision. Mm -hmm. Today, I don't think circumcision is the stumbling block for the church. Um, I don't think we're, you know, we're all battling with that here. Um, so, uh, you know, that's not our thing, but we have things, too, that, that we put on there and say, you, you have to do this or you're not really a good Christian, don't we? Yeah. 
Yep. Everybody has it. Not just the people outside of this church. We have it too. Everybody has it. Everybody has their thing. You don't believe me? No need to bring one up about us to go to start out with. Um, how many children were denied membership in a primitive Baptist church because they could not regurgitate the principles and doctrines of election and predestination? How many children? I mean, it's been a while. But there's been a lot of people that I know of that it was, well, you're too young, you can't understand, therefore we can't let you be a member of our church, join again when you're whatever. Yeah. I mean, I know of a personal one. So, I mean, there's people that know that. So that's just one. So we can't, when I, and I bring that up because we can't all throw out and go, oh, yeah, you, you know, like those people who say if you accept Christ, you know, they're adding that on there. Well, we have our things too. So let's eat the humble pie. You know, as, as the phrase goes, um, you know, people who live in ten houses shouldn't throw can openers. So, um, you know, we have our problems too, believe it or not. I have my problems. So with that being said, there was things that people put in there that said you have to do X to be a good Christian. In general, the church today says this. You have to not smoke, not drink. You have to um, act a certain way. Uh, those are what make you a Christian. You know, you have to read your Bible every night. Um, that's what makes you a good Christian. What I want to look at is, is when Christ was asked what the two greatest commandments were, he listed out two, and in contrast to what was listed out in the Old Testament, which was all prohibitive, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, Christ lists out two that were affirmative in their action. So when we start out, we go to De Deuteronomy chapter 5, and this is where we'll read through the Ten Commandments. Everybody knows the Ten Commandments. We got them out there by the door, right? We all remember the Ten Commandments. So here he calls the people together, and in verse uh, 6, um, he says, I am the Lord thy God, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me, number one. Thou shalt, make, uh, thou shalt not make thee any graven images or any likenesses of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the waters beneath the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself unto them nor serve them, for I am the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. Whew. God's an intense person, isn't he? He's kind of um, serious when he wants you to be following him, right? Like that's kind of what you get here. <laughs> you kind of get that image. God's not saying um, you can't just take this thing lightly. Like it's not like, oh yeah, I'm your God on Sunday and then on Monday I'm not. Or I'm your God today and when you need me again. He says it's me all the time, 100% and no one else. And showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. Verse 11. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. Keep the Sabbath day to sanctify it, as the Lord thy God hath commanded thee. Six days shalt thou work, and undo all thy work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work, thou, nor thy son, nor thy daughter, nor thy manservant, nor thy maidservant. Verse 15. And remember that thou wast a servant in the land of Egypt, and that the Lord thy God brought thee out of thence uh, through a mighty hand and by a stretched out arm. Therefore the Lord thy God commanded thee to keep the Sabbath day. Honor thy father and mother as the Lord thy God hath commanded thee, 
that thy days may be prolonged, and that it may be go well with thee, and in the land with the, uh, which the Lord had giveth thee. Thou shalt not kill, neither shalt thou commit adultery, neither shalt thou steal, neither shalt thou bear false witness against thy neighbor, neither shalt thou desire thy neighbor's wife, neither shalt thou covet thy neighbor's house, his field, his manservant, his maidservant, his ox, his ass, and anything that is thy neighbor's, thou shalt not covet. All right, so we list them all out. Now, when we flip over... Matthew chapter 22. The question, Matthew 22 in verse 36. The question is proposed out of the commandments that God has given, and there's more commandments than that, but the Ten Commandments are the ones we typically associate with, and they're the ones that we usually put on there and say that that's what you have to do to be a good Christian. Well, you can't be a murderer and be a good Christian. Well, you can't commit adultery and be a good Christian. You can't covet and be a good Christian. Thou shalt not lie. If you told a lie, you're not a good Christian. You know, all these things that we tag on, that that's what makes you a good Christian. All right? So Christ here says, the, uh, one of the, guy, the Pharisees trying to jab at him and catch him in something says, Master, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind, this is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the prophets and the law. Those didn't come from the Ten Commandments. Came outside of the Ten Commandments. We're going to go look to where they're at, but it wasn't one of the Ten Commandments. Jesus didn't say, and this is why if you think about it, think about human nature and how we deal with it things. Typically, we want the commandment that's not the sin that we're committing, right? Thou shalt not steal. That's the one that I'm, I'm really going to be firm on. You, you don't need to steal. Why? Because I don't steal. I just commit adultery. But I'm not going to bring up adultery. Let's not talk about adultery. Let's not talk about that commandment because that's the sin that I'm actually guilty of. I'm going to stand over here and say, you people who steal, you're all going to hell and you're worthless and you're sinners and you need to repent. Or they'll go on the other side and they'll say, well, there's not adultery, or, or maybe they need to preach on adultery because that's not the sin that they feel like they can be given into. And they'll avoid that. And that's really what the Pharisees did. It was, give me that one that I can follow so that I can break all the rest of them, which was how the Pharisees thought. Because then when he says, love thy neighbor himself, oh yeah, but who's, who's my neighbor? Like, I, I don't have to love everybody, right? I just have to love those people who you say I have to to justify my evil works. So there he says, what are the great commandments? And Christ says, I'll one-up you, I'll give you two of them. And guess what? These two are the rules of your life, and it'll encompass everything that the law ever taught because it, what did the law do? What did the law do? Pointed to Christ. What was the main reason Christ came down here? What was the main reason that God chose us? What was the reason, that, what was the reason behind it? Love. So what were the two great commandments God told us, summed up everything, love God and love everybody else? Because that is what makes us a Christian. Amen. That is what makes us a child of God. That's what a child of God looks like. It's not someone who just has some moral superiority because morality can be adopted by anyone. I can beat you enough to make you quit drinking and smoking. I can beat you enough to make you quit cussing. 
I can beat you and beat you and beat you and beat you until physically, mentally, and spiritually I have whipped you to death to where you'll obey me in whatever I tell you to do. Yeah, I'll beat you to death to do whatever. That's not what makes you a child of God. That's not what, is a, what a child of God is summed up as. But yeah, I can beat you to death to do anything. So morality is not what makes you a Christian. And, and the thing is, is that, and I've, and, this, and I've heard this from another preacher, but I, I, it's a good idea, and you know, when we really go down to it, God gives every preacher the idea, so um, it's not necessarily from that preacher, it's just he used him to say that. That what we have to realize is, is that our greatest problem in this world, in our families, in our churches, in our lives, is not a lack of morality, but a lack of love for God. And this is what he said, and this is kind of the, the analogy he used. Discipline is created from love. Love is what creates your discipline. Discipline does not create love. And we can follow that when we have kids and, and things like that. And, and, and we'll get into that in just a second. But discipline's not what does it. I don't beat you to death and you say, I love you so much, thank you so much. Praise God, I love you. Thank you for beating me. I love you, and that's why I chasing you. I love you, that's why I don't commit adultery. I love you, that's why I don't steal from my neighbor. I love you, that is what is the cause of the discipline that we live out. So it's not that we have a lack of morality, it's that we have a lack of love that creates the moral compass in our lives. So when we go back over here and we look, we go, okay, Jesus, where did you get that one from? Where did you get those two commandments from? Obviously, they're not the thing that you carved on the stone with your finger on the mount of uh, uh, the mount. Well, um, the mountain Sinai. Thank you. I was like Mount Moriah, and then I was going to get all about the angel and the temple, and we can't go off on that one. But um, so obviously, it wasn't part of the Ten Commandments that you know Charlton Heston held up there on 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 um, Mount Sinai. So where'd you get it from? If we look over in Deuteronomy again, flip over just a little bit more. Deuteronomy chapter 6, and I'm going to read Deuteronomy chapter 6, and I want you to read it with me because the, the, the message he gives out here is so amazing. Okay, So we're going to read through Deuteronomy chapter 6. We're going to go through a lot of it, verse like 5 to 25. But read with me, don't fall asleep, read with me, and look at this and get into the message that, that uh, Moses is delivering, or that they're delivering here, because it echoes what we should be feeling. Okay, you ready? You ready? You ready? Everybody found Deuteronomy? Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. And this is a very common Hebrew phrase. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Very important in a time with polytheism. Theism. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. That is what Jesus picked out. Out of the entire law, the entire commandments, the ten that Charlton Heston got, out of all that, he picked out this one. This was the most important one. Love the Lord thy God with all your heart, all your might, all your soul. Not half. Not, well, I'll give you the last 40 years of my life, the first 40 are mine. I'll give you the last years of my college days. The first two are mine. I'll give you blank, all of it. We all know what all means, right? We all get that, right? 
So in all the cases where we look at and we go, maybe all things doesn't mean all things. All things here means all things. Amen. All your heart, all your mind, all your soul. You reserve nothing for yourself. Everything goes to God. So when you're looking at it in your life and you say, okay, Adam, what does that beautiful piece of poetic literature mean to me? It means when you go and you say, I just graduated, I'm looking for a job. You say, God, what's the job you want me to have? What's the job you want me to be in? Who's the people you want me to talk to? When you're talking about graduating college and, and, or graduating high school and going to college, you go, God, what's the college you want me to be at? God, who's the family you want me to talk to? What's the work you want me to do? Who's the person at work that you want me to talk to? What, what in my life do you want me to do? That is the question. Do you want me to have kids? Maybe you don't. Maybe you want me to do something else. Obviously, he wants me to have some kind of trial and suffering in my life. Because he gave me a boy instead of a daughter. I don't, I don't know. Well, I actually don't know which one would have been more trial and suffering in my mind. Um, what are you going to do? Um, so here, his sum is everything that is already his. I mean, that's, that's, what's, that's what you got to grab from this. Um, when we look at it and we go, yeah, but it's my mind, my body, my mind, my soul. No. Do we remember, you know, from the dust you were created to the dust you will return? Um, gods. It's all gods. Everything here is God. So it's not like, oh, I get, I get my part. I need me time. I need the time where I can get to, you know, sow my wild oats and grow and be a beautiful flower or whatever it is that you think. It's all God's. Every minute of every day is God's. So it's not like, well, God, can I have the first three hours of the day to set my mind right and then I'll serve you? No, it's, it's every day you wake up is God's. All right, do we get that? Do I have to keep laboring on it? No, let's keep reading. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. And these words which I have commanded thee this day shall be in thy heart. Sounds kind of familiar. Maybe a Hebrews 8 kind of thing with I'll write my laws in their hearts and their minds. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. All right. Do we grasp that? Rule number one. You're going to love God, love his commandments, and diligently teach them to, their, to your children. That doesn't leave, and this falls heavily on the men, because in the end, uh, the men become responsible. Now, you know, we talk about with women and we say, yes, women, you know, it is, you know, the, the man is, is the head of the family, just like Christ is the head of church. And, you know, we have stigmas about that and people get mad about that and talk about submission. Okay, great. We'll, we'll have that conversation some of the time. But I'm too busy dealing with the fact that if I screw up my family, I get punished by God. If Emily fails to be the Christian she's supposed to be, God knocks on my door and says, what are you doing? If my future child comes into this world and is a hellion, God doesn't knock on Emily and say, why didn't you spank him this time? He looks at Adam and goes, what are you doing? Where's your leadership? I called you to do this. You're responsible. So when we look at this about teaching it, teaching it half the time, right? Teach these things half the time when it's convenient, you know, diligently to thy children. And shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house. So, what are we talking about? What are we talking about on any given Saturday? What are we talking about on any given Sunday? Are we talking about the things of God, or are we talking about whatever else? Thou shalt diligently teach them, talk when you're sitting in your house, walking by the way, you're talking about them, and when thou liest down, you're talking about them, and when thou risest up, you're talking about them. 
Why? Because you're in love with the Creator God that gave you all this. Let me ask you this, because um, there's some of us who are seasoned in their marriages. Some of us are young in our marriages. Some of us are not married at all. Um, if you look at it in the very beginning, when you first get engaged or you first find that person who you just love and you want to spend your whole life with or whatever, how often do you start talking about them? A sickeningly amount of the time, right? Every conversation is brought up. Oh, yeah, yeah, that reminds me because, you know, uh, me and Emily, you know, when, you know, we're married now and, um, and we went and, uh, yeah, and we did a married person thing. Um, we always bring it, you always end up bringing it up. And the funniest example I have right now, and it's because he's not here, I can say it. Jim, um, when, he started, when he started talking about Laura Knopp, it, you can't get, I mean, it's like everything. Yeah, oh, yeah, you remember when, when we ate hot dogs? Yeah, me and Laura Knopp ate hot dogs just the other day. I mean, it's just like everything. And it's not, not something I'm making fun of him about. It's a very cute thing, and we all do it. We just want to pretend like we don't because um, we're strapping masculine men, but at some point in time, we've done that, where we're sitting there talking, and we're like, oh, yeah, yeah, me and my wife, you know, I'm married. Did you see? I'm married now. We did this the other day. Yeah, we went on a vacation like married couples do. Isn't that awesome? Because you're excited about it. You're married. It's something new. You're excited about it. You want to tell everybody about it because you love them, and that love is working and boiling in your heart 24-7, and it's just you got to let it out. So that's what he's talking about here. You love God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul. It's going to come out at some point in time. And God says it should come out all the time. All the time. When you're laying down, you should be praying. When you're rising up, you should be praying. You should be talking to in your family. When you sit down, it's not, oh, yeah, what was the latest thing Alabama did? Did you hear about saving recruiting this guy? It's, oh, yeah, did you hear about God blessing this family? Did you hear about God taking away this cancer? Did you hear about God doing this? That is what our every day is supposed to be like in our families. And that's the problem. We're not doing that. We've gotten lazy. We don't even want to talk about it at church. We don't talk about it for an hour at church, and then the other you know, 45 minutes in between, we want to talk about everything else but God. And we've become lazy with it. All of us have. And that's why we're in the state that we're in. That's why the country's in the state that we're in. So all of our families are in the state we're in. You know, when we're talking about sins and problems, um, and I read this and I told people at um, Ebenezer, I told people at Ebenezer this because I read it on Drudge Report right as I was coming in. You know that when you're talking about problems in society, uh, one of the, the biggest problems that used to be, you know, right around before this latest problem, in the recent 10 years, one of the biggest problems was the growing number of high school students and teenagers who were having sex before marriage. That was the big problem that we all needed to fix. Now it's very interesting. Um, the big problem that everybody's getting into today, um, married couples who were getting more into adultery and having more swinger-based relationships where you swap wives and husbands with other people, and it's becoming a socially acceptable norm. So when we talk about the big problems facing the church today, <laughs> that's a big problem. Um, that's one of those things that, you know, you, I, I don't know. It's, it's like that's, that's, that's what all this ends up leading to when we quit talking about God and our families and quit stressing the importance of the family thing centered around God it just, everything just starts disintegrating and falling apart. Way off subject, but still kind of on subject. 
And thou shalt bind them, and this goes into verse 8, thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thy hand, and they shall be as frontlets between their eyes. And that was the frontlets were things that were phylacteries and stuff like that that hang off their hats or hang around their heads and basically have them hanging there where it's like everywhere you looked, you saw the word of God. So basically he's saying it should be surrounding you and everything that you see. And he goes and he says you should, uh, you should write them upon the post of your house and upon the gate. So your whole house should be surrounded by the commandments and the word of God. That's what your house should be on. It should be what you're looking at on a daily basis. It should be what your hands are touching. Everything should be centered around the Word of God. So how much of the Old Testament are we taking into the New Testament? A lot. A lot. Now, the law service, we're not taking into it, and we're not justifying ourselves by these works, but these works are the exhibition of the justification already done in us. Because God has loved us first and put it in our hearts, then we turn around and we love him back, and in loving him back, we act a certain way. Is that such a strange concept? No. I mean, when you love your parents, and your parents say, do this, you do that. When you love your wife, and your wife says, hey, do you mind running to the store and buying me, I'm not going to get anything like that, uh, you mind buying me some whatever peach ice cream because I'm having some kind of crazy craving at 3 o'clock in the morning or something like that? Um, you get up and you do it because you love your wife, right? So the things that we do, this is not some foreign concept. When we love God like we should, we're doing the moral things, quote unquote, that we should be doing because they're the things that God says, hey, you, you need to be talking about my word in your house every day. Notice that's what he said. He didn't say, you need to be teaching your family how you don't need to be smokers, or you don't need to be drinkers, or you don't need to be... What did he say? Talk about my word every day. If I'm talking about the word every day, I'm not really dabbling in adultery. It's not going to happen. If I'm sitting over here talking with my family about the word of God and the beautiful marriage of Christ and the church, I'm not over here thinking about my other options. So that's how you correct the problem, whatever it is. You know, the, it, when we look at that, it's not the problem that is the problem. It's the source of the problem. The source of the problem is our love for God is lacking, and it opens up the doors to all these other things that we start trying to fall in love with, whatever that is. Adultery, lust, um, stealing, lying, drugs, whatever it is you want to fall off into, it's because the love of God, you're, it's, it's not dominating your life like it should. And the next big question would be, well, then how do I get more of the love of God? We'll get into that in a minute. Let's get through the rest of this. Thou shalt write upon the hearts, and it shall be when the Lord thy God shall have brought thee out of the land and swear unto Isaac. Um, Keep flipping. I'm trying to find the place that I want to get to. Here we go. Verse 20. Because this is the next big hit on this. And y'all can go back and read the, the filler between there that's elaborating on the subject. Um... Verse 20 says, And when thy son asketh thee in time to come, saying, What mean the testimonies and the statutes and the judgments which the Lord our God hath commanded you? So when your kids, ten years from now, come and go, Daddy, why do we go to church? Daddy, why do we serve God? Daddy, why do we have to, um, you know, go to church on Wednesday nights instead of, you know, going out and doing whatever else? Why do we not put baseball practice ahead of church? Why do we not put football games ahead of church? Why do we do all this, Daddy? Why do we do all this, Mommy? This is his response. Then thou shalt say unto thy son, 
We were Pharaoh's bondmen in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand, and the Lord showed us signs and wonders great and sore upon Egypt, upon Pharaoh and upon all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from thence, and that he might bring us in to give us the land which he sware unto our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as it is at this day. And it shall be our righteousness if we observe to do all these commandments before the Lord our God as he hath commanded us. You say, what's our story for that? God didn't lead us out of Egypt. Literally. Yeah, literally he didn't lead us out of Egypt. But I'm pretty safe in saying this, that probably everybody has a story. And you can all turn back and I can look back and I can go, the reason we do this, son, the reason we do this, daughter, the reason we do this is because there was a time when we were bondmen to this world, talking about liberty. There was a time we were bondmen to this world. We were bondmen to sin. We were bondmen to Satan. We were bondmen to the devil and hell. And God took us out of hell. He took us out of the hands of the bondman. He took us out of the hands of the strong man. He took us out of the bondage that we were in, delivered us, gave us a home in heaven, gave us eternity that we're going to live with him. And because of that, he says, follow my commandments here. And if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And that's why we do these things. What a, that's, that's a powerful testimony. Like that's a powerful thing. Like, you, you, can, you can run with that all day. Like, there's, there's nowhere that doesn't work. You can't go to work. I mean, you, that, that works for anywhere. Work, job, school, play, home, wherever you want to be, that works right there. Why do I do these things? Why do I go to church? Why do I continue the things? Why do I sacrifice, quote-unquote, the things of the world that they would tell me that I need to be doing that would make me happy and how I need to be the fulfilled 26-year-old man? Why do I sacrifice that? Why do I crucify that? Why do I kill that? Because God's given me all these things and he's delivered me from an innumerable amount of problems and things in my life. And I'm going to serve him because of it. Because I love him because of the love he first loved me with. Okay, second place, and I'll, just, I'll give it to you and we'll read it um, real quick, is Leviticus chapter 19. Because we have the first one. And love thy neighbor as thyself isn't one of the Ten Commandments. Chapter 19 of Leviticus, and y'all start in verse 9 and read through all that. Because what you'll notice is, is the whole time he's talking about all these things you're doing for other people in your everyday lives, how you structure it, how when you're going out to your garden and you're taking the fruit of the garden, you don't glean it completely dry, you leave some so that the poor can come up and take that so every aspect of their lives led up to verse uh, 18. Yeah. All that led up to verse 18. Leave food for the poor to glean out of your field. Don't lie about your neighbor. Don't, um, don't covet your neighbor's goods. All that he's explaining it. The other thing that I thought was, uh, was uh, very interesting, if I can get back through it, and I should have just read. Oh, yeah. Verse 17. Thou shalt not hate thy brother in thine heart. Thou shalt in any wise rebuke thy neighbor and not suffer sin upon him. So, kind of like what he talks about over in James, where he says, if a brother is given in to a fault, 
you're to go to that brother and try to convert him to the saving of his soul? Same thing here. It's all about doing it for the other person. And then you get up to verse 18. He says, Thou shalt not avenge nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people, but thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I am the Lord. So those are the two commandments that Christ used to sum up everything of the law. Everything that was, was supposed to happen. All the sacrifices, all the commandments, all the don't eat this, eat that, don't eat this, do this, don't mix your wool together with linen, and all these things they got, and all points to Christ. And Christ says the summation of it is love God and love your neighbor because that's what I did. I came to this earth, I loved my father, and I loved you, birth <laughs> you bunch of worthless, reckless, you know, nothings. I loved you. And gave my life for you, therefore you should do it for one another. I mean, that, that's what he sums it all up in, is those two commandments. That's not very hard for us to do. Now, if I can close with one thing, um, to be kind of like, because the big question is, all right, Adam, so you've told me that basically the reason I'm stinking it up as being a Christian is because I don't love God enough. Well, how do I love God more? Because uh, I said that to one person, and that was what that was kind of the response. Um, not stinking it up, but they were just like, yeah, but you know, people always say that, but they always say it like some erroneous thing, like you just have to love God more. Well, how do I love God more? All right, so, um, you know, when God says uh, in, um, in John, where he says, if you love me, you keep my commandments, the answer to the equation is not, oh, I just need to keep his commandments more, and that's how I love God more. The phrase there was, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So the origin of your keeping the commandments was loving God, not the other way around. The origin of loving God does not come from keeping his commandments. You keep his commandments because you love him. So the answer to the equation is not, oh, well, I just have to keep the Ten Commandments and then I'm good. That's not what makes you a good Christian. So what's the answer? Go over to 2 Thessalonians. Second Thessalonians, chapter 5, And the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patient waiting for Christ. No, Second Thessalonians 3 and 5. Did I say 5? Did, did I not grab the 3 first? 3 and 5. Did I say, well, I think I'm reading over Second Thessalonians. Yeah, well, exactly. There's a fifth verse, though, somewhere. You got three options for it. Um, third chapter, fifth verse, 2 Thessalonians, page number 860 if you have my Bible. And the Lord direct your hearts in the love of God and in the patient waiting of Christ. So how is our hearts tuned more to love God? Remember when we talk about who does the work in your heart? Who changes your heart from a hard and stony heart to a heart of flesh? Who puts love in your heart? Who puts faith in your heart? Who puts long-suffering in your heart? Who does that? God. So if we're looking at our lives and going, you know what? I'm just failing at this thing. I'm not being who I, I'm supposed to be. I don't feel the drive. I don't feel the zeal for church. I don't feel the zeal for doing the things of God. Then you go back to God and say, God, I have messed up what you've given me. I have messed up my heart. This beautiful new heart you gave me, I've messed it up again. I've gotten calluses back on it. I've gotten dirt back on it. I've let the things of the world choke me out. I've let the riches choke me out. I've let the stress choke me out. 
and I'm back in this state, can you do it again? <laughs> can you clean me back up? Can you soften my heart again? Can you re bring back that love and that zeal and that devotion and that, just that thrill that I got from going to church? Can you bring that back to me and then come back out here next Sunday morning? You know, because that's kind of the place where he comes and meets you at most of the time. Um, so come back out here the next Sunday morning with that kind of drive going, all right, I'm looking for God today. So with that and all that, um, if there's one idea that we can think on with this, usually we work harder and we push harder and we're more driven and we're not as distracted if we have our eyes focused on what we're working for, right? So like when I'm working at my job, I'm going, hey, it's 2 o'clock and I get off in a couple hours, so let's, let's run, 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 let's get this done. Let's knock out patience so I can leave. All right. When we do that, when we have the goal in mind, you know, if you're talking about it, when you're, if you're plowing a field, you know, when you see as you start working, you get closer and closer to that last row, all of a sudden, you know, everything's getting lined up and you're knocking it out real quick. If we can take Revelations 21 and you get that picture of, that John paints of how beautiful heaven is with Christ sitting up there, God sitting there, the whole reason is that we're walking towards them in heaven, walking through those gates, and the whole reason we're doing it is we're walking towards God to finally see the one who's loved us and given all this stuff, and we've been talking about him for 6,000, 7,000, 8,000 years, and we finally get that day where we walk up and we see him and we just see him from afar off and we're running towards him. Take that picture and put it right here in your frame of reference every single day, and then everything you look at Everything you do, every problem in your life, you go, oh, this problem over here is because, oh, oh, but there's, that's where I'm heading. That's where I'm walking to. That's where I'm working to today. That's what I'm running after. That's what I'm going after. And that picture will take whatever you're looking at and completely blow it out of the water and will push you harder to do what we're called to do. So thank you for your time.